0: Don't use any extra words. A sentence is a machine. It has a job to do. An extra word in a sentence is like a sock in a machine. The work's unity is more important than anything else about it. Those digressions that were so much fun to write must go.
1: Hey, welcome back to The Craft, where we explore the creative process. My name is Colby, and I'm a marketer, product manager, and music producer.
0: And my name's Carter, and I am a PhD candidate in English literature, American lit, at the University of Kentucky, and a writer. And today, we have got what I hope will be a great episode. We are going to talk about multiple different quotes from a compilation of Annie Dillard's advice on writing. So, Annie Dillard, really a rock star in the American environmental writing scene, really a godmother of of a lot of that, Rachel Carson, Annie Dillard, really huge player, but she's also a remarkable writer, fantastic writer, recommend going and reading Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, but this was a really neat compilation, and I had sent it over to Colby, and we just had some some great thoughts, it was very inspiring, Uh, and so this episode I think will be in tandem, or kind of a continuation of the last episode. How would you describe that relationship, Colby?
1: I think that if you like enjoyed the last episode where we talked about keep showing up, episode forty-four, this is going to be in the similar vein of almost like giving that you know ourselves that future motivation and fuel and inspiration if we're stuck on something. Like this is just a little bit of a more general conversation, hopefully around the creative process, but it's going to span a lot of different. Parts of it, so I I just expect it to be inspiring to me.
0: Yeah, and when we haven't done a quote of the week in a while, so here here's going to be you know four or five <laughs> quotes of the week for you. So we're catching up.
1: Yeah, getting caught up. I like it. Let's jump in. So we've both got at least two quotes, so maybe we can kind of ping pong, and I'll do one, and then you send you send one. So and also we'll drop a link in the description for all of the from the article where there's a list of these quotes, but. The first one I'm going to do is remember to live a life. So let me read this here. Dedicate, donate, or give all your life to something larger than yourself and pleasure to the largest thing you can, to God, to relieving suffering, to contributing to knowledge, to adding to literature or something else. Happiness lies this way and it beats pleasure hollow. Never, ever get yourself into a situation where you have nothing to do but write and read. You'll get into, you'll go into a depression. You have to be doing something good for the world, something undeniably useful. You need exercise too, and people. (laughs) I really love that quote because one, I think it just speaks to living for something bigger than yourself, which is really important. And two, that line of never get yourself into a situation where all you have to do is write and read or insert your discipline, make music, take photos, make movies, whatever it is, like if your only thing that you do is constantly talk and think about the craft alone, you don't have another source to find inspiration from. You're not going to be a balanced person. And I feel like this resonates with me because when I do obsess on and talk a lot about and think only about what I'm working on, then I often do get into a roadblock or sort of create a block quicker, I think. And also I think I'm less balanced or just healthy. And it's not like I need to have a perfect balance between I work 10 hours on my project and I do 10 hours of other stuff. It's not like that, but you need to live a life in order to be inspired to write. And I know we talked about that in the last episode, but reading that quote for for me was just like, ah, oh, yeah, this is a, just a good thing for me to keep being reminded about.
0: Yeah, I love the connection that Dillard makes between art and life here and that they're not these kind of two separate things. I mean, this is such an encouragement to try to live a holistic human life. i mean she's she's speaking to to us as humans first here and then as writers. and I think that's that's really important because there's there's a way in which we can approach whatever discipline, kind of like a um, a scientist with something on the table that we're dissecting and we're we're looking at it, but it's really just kind of this cold body of it. And then there's a way in which our work and our life can be part of the same unified existence. And so Henry Bugby, the philosopher that I'm dealing a lot with in my dissertation, he's got a great line where he says that our philosophy that we believe and our life shouldn't be in conflict. Like they need to be emerging from the same like, project, basically, and that it's not this matter of, like, oh, I do my art over here, and it's somehow to the detriment of the rest of my life, or, like, my life and art are in conflict, but rather, like, we need to focus on ourselves, our being as a whole, and then that's going to allow us to write. But it's also not just saying, hey, make sure you go outside so you can write better. Like, that's not what she's saying either. She's not like saying, go see people, do other things in order you can be more functional. You can be more productive. She's actually saying, look, you're going to be healthier if you do this. You know, don't, in your pursuit of mastery, in your pursuit of, of something, allow it to be life-erasing rather than life-giving. So that, I mean, that's super encouraging, I think breaking down divisions.
1: Yeah, I like that. Breaking down division between work and personal maybe a little bit. You know, you have like sacred secular kind of divide thing, but then you have like the work personal or artistic and personal. That's a whole topic in and of itself, I feel like.
0: Yeah, and it can be I mean, I think we've talked about this a lot. It can be a bad thing, right? You can you can you can have it where your personal life is absolutely devoured. <laughs> by your profession or whatever, right? There, There is no boundary. And and we've talked about, too, the importance of, you know, the clock out. You know, I'm going to shift gears. But what's interesting is we set up those divisions in order that, you know, we can keep at bay the instinct for the work to become devouring. But I think in, in a more healthy way, then, yeah, our life is integrated. Like, you don't want to be—you don't want to have a schizophrenic life, <laughs> and you don't want to be a schizophrenic artist where you as a person— are totally, you know, distinct from your work, right? And there, there's this kind of dissonance here, and you know, where like you sound one way over here, and you're actually a totally different way over here, and these things are warring together, and they're trying one of them to to be all of you, right? There's there's just a better, more healthy, holistic version of the artist, not the starving person in the corner that's drug addicted, right, or whatever, right? There's there's a more holistic version of the artist, and I think this quote speaks to that. What about you? What's your first quote? Okay, so so many good ones here. It's kind of difficult to pick. One that I want to talk about first is about cutting ruthlessly. So there's two in this section. Let me read them both because they're so good. So the first one says, don't use any extra words. A sentence is a machine. It has a job to do. An extra word in a sentence is like a sock in a machine. The work's unity is more important than anything else about it. Those digressions that were so much fun to write must go. So that's the first one. And then I'll just paraphrase. The second one, she talks about how in, I believe it's a writing workshop, they cut out the best sentences from a piece, taped them onto a a page, and said, write around these, fill in what's missing. And so I love both of these. The digressions are fun, (laughs) right? And the things that kind of get extemporaneous to what you're writing. It's so easy to fall into those. And so this advice is almost always, and I say almost, almost always the right advice of trim, trim, trim. And I just see this in my own writing. And so it's encouraging to, you know, we've talked about revision a lot. You have to keep things pretty loose and you can't really develop too too much of an aff- affection for things because they may have to go. But it's it's the writer that's not, cutting ruthlessly that I'd be concerned about more than the writer who is.
1: This makes me immediately think, what are the connections between disciplines? Where does this apply in music? Where does this apply in photography? Great. There's plenty of disciplines I could, I'm not sure how to apply it to, but I totally see connections to music already where it's like, what if I was working on a song and I got to that moment, which is normally later in the process where it's like, oh, this is a great 20 second segment. The way that sound comes in that transition perfect whatever perfect like, okay what if i deleted everything else or made a new project copied that over and then i said okay make a song around this one thing yeah and then cut all the rest because it? it's a huge she talks about in some of these quotes like the burden of you have to like in the someone's phrase you know kill your darlings kind of idea not her quote but you have to do that ruthless cutting of something that you've loved earlier, or was or this other quote where you know you you create a runway, the first sentence or whatever, the start of your song, and then you might later go back and cut that off because it got you off the ground, but you don't need the runway. Yeah. And that, the readers or the listeners don't need it either. The problem is you have to have like a lot of thick skin or a lot of work ethic to say, okay, I'm willing to work another 10 hours on this song to start from scratch on the first half to get to this really good part. But yeah, that's what I took away from I was like, oh, how could I use that in music? That's really interesting.
0: This is a rich discussion. You know, that, that reminds me too of, I saw a comment from a professor I'm working with on some student writing, and, and he said, you can probably do without this clearing your throat, which is like this preamble of like getting ready to say the thing that you're going to say. And I love how, you know, the connection between, okay, maybe it was necessary to get you off the ground, but now go back and cut it. And so I think recognizing that clearing the throat I think that just comes with maturity, too, of like, what's essential? And that's the big question in that first quote of cutting the unity is the most important. What is extemporaneous? What's, what's, what's outside detracting from the unity? I think unity across kind of criticism in disciplines, unity is one of those creative principles of whether it's a painting, whether it's a poem, whether it's a novel, unity has got something, or or a song, right? And so that which is distracting from the unity, which will often be, you know, our mind exploring different ways we could say things, it's having that overarching vision for the whole that then leads to the cutting. And so it's kind of like just making sure that the local decisions Are dictated by the global needs and not the other way around. And not having the local things that you like, I really like this sentence or I like this little paragraph here, dictate the bigger concerns because then they're out of alignment.
1: I missed a piece of that. I think you're saying it's almost like you start from the detail, then you work up to the general.
0: I was saying, I was just kind of saying that it's a matter of where the importance is placed or the weight in that you want to make sure the local concerns are ultimately in subservience to the global, not, I really love all these details and they're the most important because I really like this sentence and I neglect the more global concerns like the unity that Dillard talks about.
1: You can so totally get stuck on, I like this snare sound, it's so good. And then it's like, yeah, but it doesn't fit with what we did in verse one and we really like verse one and the whole goal of this song is to have a verse, a chorus, a verse a bridge, a chorus, an end, and be three minutes long and blah, blah, blah. So it's like you need to sometimes cut the detail that you really like and maybe save it for another song and focus on serving the whole. But then there's also this other side of it where it's like maybe the one little snare sound is actually the thing you say, you know what, the goal of this song was to make a really good song. All this other stuff isn't working. Delete it all keep the snare, let's build something new around this because Perfect. somehow the sort of wandering of a project, you started with the piano sound, you started writing a melody and then all of a sudden you threw a drum snare in and you're like, oh, that's a really cool sound. This is taking me on a rabbit trail. No, actually this rabbit trail is the main path. I want to stay on this path and throw away the runway. Sometimes you do find that the one sentence is actually going to be more more valuable to the global concern. So sometimes you do work up from the detail to the global as well, which is kind of interesting.
0: And I think, yeah, and so that's two different things. One is a level of importance between global and local, and then the second is like level of direction. Like, you can work either way. And, you know, honestly, I'll give a real practical example before we move to the next quote. You know, this happened pretty recently, an instance of both of these. So one, I was working on, you know, why an English degree, a recent Substack post on, on dwelling. And I, I wrote the draft, and I had a beginning that I think was really, it, it was interesting, but it was it was out of step with the rest of the piece, but I liked it. So I took it, I just lopped it out, put it in its own Word document, titled it, you know, what one thought that it was capturing, and then I just took it out. And that was so helpful because then it was part of the process of me, what is this post going to be about? And this was about a different idea than what it turned into. And so that's one where I cut away the beginning. I like the beginning. I may come back and do something about it, but I just had to get it out. And so that would be one of those, I guess, to make the connection with music. That would be something that you're like, okay, this was a nice place for us to start with this piano, but we actually don't need it now. And I like that, you know, I like the little what we did there. Maybe I'll use it a different time. Or if we do the snare thing, I like this snare, but it's not working with, with the rest of it. And then just last week, I'm working on another essay that I hope to find a home for this outside of uh, the substack. But I, I wrote a, I wrote a page or two on the typewriter. It was in a, in a flow here. And then I was just really dissatisfied with it. And so I put that page aside. I took a blank page. And there was several things I wanted to talk about. And I said, just write one sentence for that whole idea. So I'm trying to describe a horse race. It's going to be a piece about Hemingway and horse races. And I was like, okay, what's one... Like, can I write one really good sentence about the, the environment of the paddock where the horses are walking around? Like, can I, just, I want to write paragraphs on it, but no, I just need to write one thing. And so I did this bullet list of like seven sentences, and it was basically trying to do the essay, but in seven sentences, and then do exactly what Dillard said, write around the good sentences. And so this was an instance where it was kind of like all this stuff, ooh, the snare sound, pick that out, put that on its blank page, this guitar riff. I like that here. The rest of this is trash. (laughs) Put that next to it and just try to like break it down into its essential pieces. And then I'm going to try to kind of, I'm in the process now of of working to build around that. But that was kind of both instances. Like one, a piece just needed to go. But in another instance, I just need to get everything else out and just keep the one piece.
1: Mm. It's almost like this could be summarized as like, find your hook. In a way, or maybe that's only one version of it, but there's sort of this idea of like you find something, it hooks you and you're like, okay, I'm going to work from this hook backwards to a full, full song, full article, full essay. Other times it's not necessarily a hook. It's just, you're working on your main thing. You find a hook, hook to something else. And you're like, no, instead of chasing this side quest kind of thing, I'm going to take this out, put it in another project. Say, maybe I have two projects here for later.
0: Yeah. And, you know, it also reminds me of kind of the Jiro Dreams of Sushi when he talks about, like, I go to the fish market, I get the five best tuna, and then I only pick the best of the five best. And I, I love the idea. It's like, this is the same sort of thing. It's like, okay, we've got five really good things. we got five really good sentences or five really nice elements of composition. I only I only want to take the best of the five best and then work around that. And I think that's, that's some really... It's some cool discipline to do that because you're really just trying to say, I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to take what's best, and then I'm going to take the best of that, and then that's going to be my standard, and I'm going to work from there.
1: It sort of oversimplifies it to think you could do that for the whole project, but it's like I almost see that True. you could try. You could try to be like, <laughs> there's like, okay, I'm yeah, going to write. Yeah. 20 versions of this paragraph. I'm going to pick my five favorite. Then I'm going to pick the best of those five. Sure. It's literally, I mean, I do this all the time where it's like, I need to come up with an episode title for this episode. I'll probably give, I'll make five and then I'll be like, okay, let me pick. And then maybe one stands out and normally I'll go with that, but I could take it a step further and I could sure. say, let me make 10, pick the top three and then maybe make five more and then pick the top, you know, like sort of have two different late tranches of, I generate a lot of ideas cut, generate a lot of ideas cut. It's uh, very similar to that overall create, revise, create, revise sort of framework, you know?
0: Totally. And I think you're right. It's like, you can't do it on everything, but I think Hemingway wrote the end of Farewell to Arms like 23 times or something. Or, or, you know, with a poem, you're, you're doing this. A short poem, oftentimes, right, you're drastically reiterating on it it's a little different with something the size of the dissertation I'm sure there (laughs) there will be many sentences (laughs) in my dissertation that I could have written better and more iterations would have helped but there's I think as a principle yeah cutting cutting's helpful boiling down to what's essential and then making that essential
1: okay so the next one from me is under the heading spend it all now don't save your best ideas for later spend it all shoot it play it lose it all right away every time do not hoard what seems good for a later place in the book or for another book give it give it all give it now the impulse to save something good for a better place later is the signal to spend it now something more will arise for later something better these things fill from behind from beneath like well water similarly the impulse to keep to yourself what you have learned is not only shameful it is destructive Anything you do not give freely and abundantly becomes lost to you. You open your safe and find ashes. Wow, that's kind of crazy that that happened right after that whole conversation. I did not plan that at all.
0: That's a tremendous quote.
1: So now we kind of need to square these ideas, right? Because we just talked about cutting things and saving them. And she's saying, spend them now. Yeah. So I'd love to talk, first of all, how do you reconcile those ideas? But actually, before we go into that, let's just break down the high level idea of this quote. I think it's just what stood out to me in this quote was just this. I've heard another phrase similar to this, which is inspiration is perishable. And I, you know, I was even reading the other day about something about productivity. I don't remember the source, but it was kind of like if you're making your list of things you need to do and there's something that can be done in two minutes or less, you don't need to write it down. Just do it. Like that's a much more effective way to avoid tons of little things piling up on you. And so it's almost similar here. It's like, Going back to this idea of the really good ideas, if you have the really good idea, it's it's super tempting for me to be like, oh, yeah, let me make this decent idea I'm working on, save this really good idea for later, and I'll just keep expounding on it. And then you become this sort of hoarder of your ideas or your sounds and music or your songs or whatever, your photos, and you just, it's like you lack a faith that later you're going to come up with something yes. new. Yes, <laughs> yes. You know, I've heard my friend Emmanuel, he, he said, you know, several times like, I don't, he doesn't seem to stress about just writing a song and throwing it out there and moving on because he's like, I'll, I'll, the well is like in me, you know, like I'm going to keep come Like there's ideas that will keep coming or come from outside of me, even. Yeah. And I don't need to fear like holding on to my ideas so tightly. You know, it's like Ed Sheeran even turning the tap on the idea of you just start writing songs, better songs will come out later. It's like you got to let the dirty water flow before the clean water comes out. So, if we hoard, we don't clear the tap. We don't clear out the, the the lesser good songs for the really great ones to come through. So I think that's what inspired me about this song was just a simple idea. If you've got an idea you're nervous to share because you want to hoard it for later, that's the sign you need to let it loose right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's so good. And it's well said in that it's almost a fear of like, this is really good, like, I better hold on to that because what if nothing else is going to be as good as this? And like, we recognize something of value and I think it's 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 tempting sometimes when we have things of value amidst a lot of things that we don't like. So let's go back to the, you know, the tap's running and finally all the rusty water is out of it and we find some clear water and we're like, oh, this is it. Like, we just want to grab it because we're, you know, almost afraid, like there's no more clean water going to come out. And so I, it is a it is a funny thing of like a fear that this is going to be the best, and I can kind of give something that's not as good now and wait for this. And I just love this idea of yeah, it's almost that in good faith, you know, give give what you can, give the absolute best, and don't try to hoard. I mean, it's like even the idea of whatever we're we're clinging most. Tightly to is what's going to evade our grasp. I mean, the idea of manna that you get for today and you can't hoard it for tomorrow, and right, it's going to turn turn to ashes in the safe. She says, "Yeah, I mean these things are perishable." I love that, and then also it, it will return. Don't let a fear of 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 not ever being able to generate anything else that's that's inspiring, because it'll yeah, it'll not only perish, but I think it'll stunt growth too. So then, how do you think that reconciles with the
1: earlier idea too? Because it feels like what we were talking about before is like slight variation on this where it's like I'm writing song A and then there's this cool idea that comes along and I'm cho- I get a choice. Do I pursue idea B and make song B? Do I try to f- shoehorn it into song A and make it work? Because I really like that snare sound. But it doesn't really serve the idea of song A very well. Do I pull it aside into another project for later and say, let's make two songs and this other song I'm more excited about I'm going to go write this new song and then come back to the old song later because this is my inspiration. Like, how do we kind of square these two ideas? Because there's this overlap at least.
0: Sure. I think maybe the overlap is perhaps less than we think. I mean, I think this is mainly talking about if you have something that is really gripping, fight the urge to try to hold this back and guard it and do this sort of thing. And I think that's very specific in that the kind of instruction to cut ruthlessly is one about stuff that's not serving the unified goal. So we're cutting that out. And I don't think either one of these really give us any direction on should I do this project or this project, right? They're almost, they're the principles in which we approach projects, but I don't think either one of them are telling us, no, you should take the snare drum and you should go do this project. Like, if you really like this, go do it. Like, I don't think that's what it's saying. It's saying if something, if you know something's going to be good, don't try to Safeguard it for later Like put it into the song now I think they're in Separate enough worlds here But they're also Not really telling you What to do They're they're more telling you uh, You know Principles again To kind of put into place
1: I agree The quotes seem To not overlap As much as I thought At first But There is an idea here That Deals with How do you manage Your inspiration battery If you will So you got this battery Sometimes it's on E Sometimes it's 100% Like oh my gosh I'm so inspired the hard part is, it's like this inspiration battery, just <laughs> bear with the de- the metaphor here, is always sort of directed towards a specific idea. So it's okay. not just general inspiration about life. It's, sure, sure, I'm yeah. so excited about writing this specific article Will, about this An- Annie Dillard quote that I just heard. Okay. Or, oh, wow, I was writing that article, and now I'm super excited to write this article about Hemingway because I read this quote from Annie Dillard. Oh my gosh, my battery is at 100% for this new project. And so there's always, you know, we talk about the dip, the beginning of the project's always going to feel way more exciting than the middle, of course. Mm-hmm. So do you, but inspiration's perishable. And so if your battery's at 100% for this new idea, how would you go about like being like, oh, you know what? This actually feels way more worthwhile than the first thing I'm working on. I'm pivoting. I'm going to spend the rest of the sure. day working on that. Sure. I'm curious. I know it's super nitty gritty, but I'm no, curious. That's good how idea, do you dude. think about that? Because I'm someone who's like, I wrote down that I'm going to do project A today but now I'm excited about project B and I, I also need to get that done some point, or maybe it's a new idea. You like you like that tension of chasing rabbits so versus pursuing so your inspiration is I don't know how you think about that.
0: Man, there's so many variables here. I mean, the thing that jumps to my mind is one, like get it down. Like everybody talks about how you had a good idea and you didn't write it down and it's gone. And that's totally true. So I think if you've got like some sort of flash of, ooh, like get it down in some way, but I think also, you know, if you have the freedom in your schedule or deadlines to chase that thing that's really, you know, flashed, go do it. Like I I think that's really, I mean, why not work on something that you've got while the idea is fresh in your mind, while you've got kind of inspiration for it? I mean, I I wrote something kind of like this. I I had a little faint of an idea about how Byung-Chu Han, somewhat misreads Harmut Rosa. And I had this idea and I just sat down that afternoon and I just worked it out. And I ended up writing, I think, I don't know, a little over a thousand words on it or something. And it took up the afternoon's work. But that was something that now I've kind of got in my pocket. Like I may turn that into a scholarly article. I ran it by, you know, a friend of mine to see what he thought about it. And it was one of those things where I didn't think that afternoon I was going to write about this. But as I was reading it, I was like, wait a second, this is, you know, something flashed like that. Inspiration, the battery got charged there. And so I just, I could afford at that point of the week, you know, there's nothing pressing I had to get done. You know, I was just reading the book, which is one of the nice things about being a doctoral student. You get some such great wiggle room in your schedule. And so I'm like, I'm just gonna write this thing. I didn't know where, you know, I have no direct plan to publish it right now. I have no, like it was for my clarity to get the ideas down on paper but it was also just man this just flashed let's do it let's do it right now and get it out so i think if you can at least put down the kernel of it so that you could go back 3 weeks later and go oh yes and then re you know pick it back up but if you have the space what is the phrase fight in the shade it's like if you can work in inspiration Like, why not? If you can fight in the shade, like, why not? It's still a fight or whatever, but it's like, if my choice is go and fight in the sun or fight in the shade, work with inspiration, work without. It's like, why not follow the ones as they kind of emerge? If you can, obviously proviso. If you're working on something and a great idea comes up, like, and you need to finish the thing, it's like, we'll finish the thing, go put a tab or scribble down a note, but fight in the shade, write in inspiration or something like that.
1: I like that. I agree with that. Yeah, honestly, I don't even think I have anything to add. I just think that's good. If you are, if you have the privilege to fight in the shade, fight in the shade. I think that's it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is, it's tough though. It's like, that's not what this, that was not the scheduled event for the day. Like, I get that. And it can be tough to like follow that and it can be harmful sometimes, right? I'm not saying that like, like you could again become disjointed and start like chasing rabbits in a way that's not helpful. So, like, there is some bandwidth of you've got to be like, look, I like this idea. This is not the time and place for it. I'm going to put it in a drawer.
1: Maybe it's a personality thing too. Like if your tendency is to be too rigid like me for no good reason, then pursue the inspiration. If your tendency is to chase rabbits or to be easily distracted, then maybe it's that's sort of a bit of a dopamine hit and you just need to push through whatever you're doing. So, I mean, maybe it's like you need to almost lean opposite direction to where you naturally go in that area maybe i don't know that's just a thought but well said it does feel like there's a time and place for chase the inspiration and use it up and spend it like she said spend it and then move on and it'll and and trust that it'll come back later
0: that's the colby summary of carter's monologue flag for today (laughs) love it (laughs) the perfect summary great you want to move on to the next one
1: yeah what you got next
0: so i love i love this one This one, she talks about returning to the specific and concrete in your writing. And so, let me read this. Always locate the reader in time and space again and again. Beginning writers rush into feelings, to interior lives. Instead, stick to surface appearances. Hit the five senses. Give the history of the person and the place and the look of the person and the place. Use first and last names. As you write, stick everything in a place and a time don't describe feelings the way to a reader's emotions is oddly enough through the senses this is just such a terrific phrase the the mantra you hear chanted in the halls of every creative writing program is show and don't tell right show and it is so easy to get pulled in to the nuances or the interiority and forget kind of the basics this is the mastery of Hemingway. Hemingway was someone who understood that getting those senses right is anything but easy. Like, it's really, really hard. And, you know, as I'm kind of fresh in my mind working through this horse racing piece, describing clearly, truly, concretely the experience of being at Keeneland, of being at this horse race, of taking all this saturated phenomenon that's coming, there's excess, like, it's really hard to do. But that's the way in which great writers get to you. I mean, someone like Cormac McCarthy, this is a very specific writing thing. So, you know, feel free, we can move on after this. But this is kind of, if you're a writer, this is kind of more specific towards, towards you. You know, McCarthy oftentimes gives us very little interiority, as you would say in fiction. He's talking about what's happening. He's talking about the senses. He's talking about the action. He's talking about the movement of the characters in their environment. And it's incredible that, as Dillard says, the emotions emerge from the senses in this way. And so it's easy to say, oh, I need a complex character. I need to give this complex emotional thing. Like, I'm going to go into this kind of interior and trace these complex thoughts and neglect the senses and neglect the embodiment. And I think it's just, it's really helpful for me as a writer, specifically just a writer right now in this time and place working on this one essay, that it's just, it's very difficult to do. I mean, describing the senses accurately, artistically, with clarity and precision, very, very difficult. We, we love vagueness. Our language is super vague. That's the, the number one comment I leave for undergraduates in, in grading papers. You know, this is a little Vague. This needs to be more precise, right? We, it's, we just work at abstractions, we work at vagueness, and so when you're stuck, go back to the concrete. I love that. So I don't know what that means. What, what that could mean for music, you don't have to try to jerry rig anything for this. But like, what are you thinking?
1: Well, it just made me think of that quote. Something like, "You can you can BS macro, but you can't BS micro," or something like that. Like, you like <laughs> oh, the yeah. more specific. You get the harder it is to like BS your way through something, and maybe that that's true in writing. Maybe it's true in art more generally.
0: Hmm. Like concrete for a writer in describing a setting, we kind of understand that. But like, what's concrete in composing? Which is an interesting question. And the kind of connection that I've made here too is you're you're really. You've got a great instinct of oftentimes when we're talking about kind of composition and and music of yeah, but what does it make me feel like? You take that very seriously, and I think that I think that may be in line in a way with this quote of we actually have to like really pay attention to what all the details are adding up to, and that that's that's a that's a question of it's kind of like a you know this is indirect, but it's kind of a gauge. It's like did all the concrete examples I give. In this writing, did it create the effect that I wanted? And then with music, did all the choices that I make—is it producing something, or are they not right? Are are they they? are instances of their choices, artistic choices that I'm I'm trying to get at an emotion, but it's n- not ultimately getting there. Hmm. There's two
1: things I'll say. One, I want to talk about the songwriting piece. Two, I'll talk about the composition and production piece, almost like the written and visual in a way, or written in sonic. So in the songwriting side, I've heard it said that the universal is in the particular, you know, that's universal idea in itself. I feel like we've said before. So I think that there's something about hearing, you know, oh, this is going to be really a pop culture reference for you. But like you think about Taylor Swift, one of the best, like, uh, you know, best one of the best songwriters, like one of the most successful artists, like. Her songs talk, you know, the line that just came to head with something. I don't even know the lyrics well, but I know there's like a song that talks about like Cornelia street or something. And there'll be all these little super specific details. I was in a blue dress. Sure. And then it's like, Oh, people can find out from that. Like, Oh, she's talking about this situation in her life. And like, we found this picture. She's in a blue dress. Like there's these particular, so maybe this is a silly example, but like there's very particular moments in time, physical locations, experiences, particular details that then paint a lot of extra color to a song that could otherwise just be generally summarized as, hey, like heartbreak, yeah, 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 Yeah. you know, whatever. I think that's really one interesting thought on the songwriting side. And on the production side, I think this is taking the quote a little bit literally, but adding really small, specific, concrete details to the production that are very, very, very subtle. Like... So good. I'll give a practical example, but so subtle that it almost feels like, okay, yeah, that doesn't matter, move on. Like the kind of sounds you don't hear unless you're wearing headphones. Like... But then you listen back like one, two, three, five, ten 10 times and you're like, whoa, huh? So the first time that pattern happened, it was one A, B, C, D. And the second time it was A, C, B, D. So there's like little pattern tweaks or they added a filter. So the sound changed a little bit or maybe the volume dips up or down or the yeah. panning goes from left to right at the same time when that pattern repeats later in the song. So like doing something as small as those details or adding a little bit of like a sound effect from the real world or mm-hmm. some Foley, like water, rain, like these little concrete details, I think actually bring way more value to the song than you would think if you looked at a pie chart of what the song so is made good. up of, they're like so 1%. Good. So that's maybe a specific thing.
0: Yeah, I think there's some there's some rich avenues that there's some, there's some connections here. But yeah, I mean, I think about even you, you've used like, you know, audio recordings from city streets and and that sort of thing in music before. And that's like a perfect example, I think, of conversation in the background that, yeah, you have to listen to it a few times, but it's those sort of things that do give a disproportionate amount of work almost in the song.
1: Very good. Love it. I know we're supposed to do two each, but I've got a couple, like, I wrote a couple more that I just wanted to, like, yeah. maybe just sure. read. We don't even have to explain them. But one is, right as if you were dying... At the same time, assume you write for an audience consistent solely of terminal patients. What would you begin writing if you knew you would die soon? What could you say to a dying patient that would not enrage by its triviality?
0: That's so good. You know what you wouldn't write, It's right? You wouldn't write the five quick ways to get rich. <laughs> it's, I just love this. It just cuts to the it just cuts to the marrow, right? It cuts right to it. It's like, what are you spending your time writing on? Is it meaningful enough that it would be use of our time and use of terminal patient's time and then to make the the cheesy truism of we all are terminal patients so like we actually are in the process of dying always and so this is this has got some really pertinence to it of like if we actually knew that the time frame was 10 weeks instead of the undetermined it's like how would that influence the subjects the topics the the earnestness in which we pursue it because we are in that right and we are born unto death so yeah i just think that's gosh that's a, just a great sobering reminder for me
1: i think this quote is just beautiful and it cuts like you said it cuts to the bone it just cuts straight to the to the inspiration you might need which is just what if this was the last thing i ever got to write okay boom, let's write something right now. What's on my mind based on that prompt? Like that's almost always going to be a good prompt (laughs) because it's going to bring something new to mind at whatever moment of your life you're in. Me asking myself that in 2023 might look different than 2024. One more to kind of squeeze in the last one here. You were made to write things. Why do you never find anything written about that idiosyncratic thought you advert to about your fascination with something no one else understands? because it is up to you. There's something you find interesting for a reason hard to explain. It is hard to explain because you've never read it on any page. There you begin. You are made and set here to give voice to this, your own astonishment. That just really hit me because there's sometimes been a feeling that I've had, which is I look up something on Google. There's not many results for it. There's not many YouTube videos. There's not many songs. And I'm like, Uh, maybe that was just a dumb thought because no one's thought of it or uh, that was just a dumb idea or that's just too specific to ask for whatever. And then it's like, wait, no, like maybe this is a chance for me to go add something to the world. Like maybe it is a dumb thought and maybe I'm Googling the wrong thing and there's just another word for the thing I was trying to describe and it's already been written to death. But just maybe that's actually where I start, which is like, oh, this is called a this is white space. This is a blue ocean. This is the gap that I can fill. In. And it comes from just like a place of curiosity, chasing that curiosity you have and not like, maybe it's because I'm so involved in SEO, which is very focused on what do people already search for? But it's like, no, go right for the things that people haven't searched for yet that you searched for. And then maybe in a year, five years, you will be fulfilling that need that other people didn't know that they had or that you were specifically placed Kind of placed on earth to do in a way.
0: That's so good. I think this kind of walks along with the quote about the particulars and concrete. It's like what are the like idiosyncratic things that you're interested in? You know, and even a Saint talked about this in the interview of like seeing the place that you are, the unique nexus of kind of all these juxtapositions. And then that's something that's very, very idiosyncratic in, in saying, okay, maybe it, this hasn't been written about, or maybe I don't know this yet because it hasn't been written and I've got to kind of give birth to it as it were. And this just rings true too to the voices that I love to read. It's like I love to read not the, the prose that sounds like it's AI generated, right? We love prose with personality, And I think about, you know, someone like Jim Harrison who writes just tremendous nonfiction. You know, here's somebody who, you know, fly fisherman, lives out west. You would never think, would quote like a 14th century theologian, but does. And then also is a pretty, you know, a sommelier and loves wine. And so you get all these like unique influences of his life come out on the page. And that's hard to do, right? Because that's not being general. It's not being abstract. It's not being cliche. It's saying like, this is a unique manifestation of all these weird little things that get translated onto the page or onto the score. And so I I think this is great. It's like, dive into those particularities. Bring those interesting comparisons together. Use the position that is so, so, so non-identical that you occupy and try to communicate that precisely because I think it's tough to do. I mean, that's the trick of it. It's easy to use the words that other people are using and just grab on. George Orwell talks about this in his great essay about writing he's like it's easy to grab like phrases that everybody uses but they don't really mean anything and so you actually have to like clear that away and start using the precise language that communicates your unique non-identical stance and i think that's really powerful
1: that's great man i think it's a great place to land the plane six quotes from annie dillard from lithub.com i just want to give a shout out to walker kaplan who wrote this back in 2021 There's an article called, Write As If You Were Dying. Read Annie Dillard's Greatest Writing Advice. So you can look that up at lithub.com or see it in the description of this episode. That's the craft. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you like this episode, please follow the show so that you get notified about the new ones that come out. We drop a new episode every two weeks on Wednesday mornings. And also just please send the link to one friend that you think would enjoy this interview. That helps us so much. Lastly, if you have any ideas for other people we should have on the show, topics we should talk about, or even just feedback on how we can improve, you can send us an email at heycraftpodcast at gmail.com. Cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. You can learn more about her work at elizabethnewell.work or on Instagram at elizabethisadesigner. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks.